So I'm going to start this morning with a question, because I want to test a theory on y'all. So I want you to imagine that you are about 45 years old or so, and you meet someone new at uh, a, a party or some sort of a gathering, and after you exchange what your names are, what is the next question you ask? What do you do, right? What do you do? And it kind of starts really early, this idea of what do you do? What, you, what do you want to be? And I say that is because uh, if you have children or grandchildren, you know on the first day of school, you have a sign. And I've got a picture of my daughter on her first day this year of second grade. And there's always a space somewhere that says something like, I want to be blank when I grow up, or I hope to be this. Andy is going three years strong on being a potions scientist, is what she wants to be. If she's looking for that chemistry brain, that's, she's not going to get that from her mother. Um, I can tell her that. But I feel like on, you know, they're really cute. It's always a fun thing to see what kids want to be when they grow up. But I feel like a more accurate thing would be like, things they, they want to do someday would be like, I want to learn to tie my shoes someday. I want to learn to use the toilet efficiently. I want to learn how to put my dirty clothes in the hamper. Or, I don't know, I want to actually learn how to look for something when it's lost. Those are the things I want to do when I grow up. Uh, just a few suggestions off the top of my head. But when you think about it, for from a very young age, we put a lot of pressure on people to figure out what they're going to do for a job. As you just saw, it starts at a young age, and then as they grow, it's what colleges are you looking at, into? What program? Okay, if you get into that school, but are you going to try to get into the business school? What internship? What things are you doing in order to get that dream, that ultimate job? And then once you get the job, the cycle begins, and you ask people, or people ask you, what do you do? Now, if you've ever been in that phase where you aren't sure what job you want, or maybe you've been let go, or maybe you've been fired, or maybe you don't like telling people what you do for a variety of reasons. Maybe you're embarrassed, or you feel like, you know, it's not a good enough job, or it's a really difficult job that people don't necessarily want to hear about because it's really hard. Or maybe your job is always portrayed as the bad guy in pop culture. Or maybe you're a pastor and you don't want people to ask because as soon as you say, I'm a pastor, no one knows how to act around you anymore. You know, Chris, you know, you're like, how can I not tell them? How can I not tell them? So there's been this shift in not constantly asking high school seniors, what college are you going to? Because we have started to realize that college isn't for everyone. Not everyone has to go the traditional four-year university track. There are many different next steps that lead you to be successful. And yet, we are still stuck as adults saying, what do you do? We'll come back to that in a moment. Today's reading comes from the book of Colossians. We'll be in chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first four verses, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 12. So hear these words this morning, my friends. 
So if you, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also, you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in, in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I haven't looked at a job posting in a very long time, and so I may be a little rusty, but I, I think it's safe to say that most don't say something like this. I wrote one. We're looking for someone who is compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. One who forgives their coworkers and boss, one who is loving and one who would teach and admonish one another's cubicle buddies with wisdom. Someone who would sing with gratitude from hymns and spiritual songs from their heart. And all the work you do, you would give all the credit to someone else. <laughs> Again, I haven't looked at some in a long time, but I'm assuming they don't say things like this. We'll come back to that. So this church in Colossae was this cultural center of, of diversity, the influence of Asian culture, Jewish customs and beliefs and, and Greek, and all this was kind of fighting for attention and place. And so we have these new believers wondering somewhat, who do we give our attention to? Where do we pull values from? What is important? What do we need to practice? What is our identity? Do we identify as Greek or, or Jewish or this new thing. And so this letter is about giving a lot of instruction in this plea that no matter what is going on, that Christ is central. Christ is our everything. Especially the emphasis in chapter one is all about that. And then as we move into chapter two, we get a warning about false teachers that could lead us astray. And then chapter three, which we read um, some of, was about we've got this new life in Christ and how we interact in the world and with others um, should be different, and that this community that we have found ourselves in is not to be isolated, that we go and show how um, our lives have been transformed and changed. We, as Christ's followers, are different. And then chapter four continues about this is how we should live, and this is how we devote ourselves to prayer. Now, this probably is not news to you if you've been in church for a while or if you've read the Bible um, even a little bit. You know that as Christ followers, we are called to be different. How we show up in the world should be different. How we act and think and speak, all of that should be different. And our identity should be one that is of Christ, that we are 
Christ's disciples. We are Christ's followers, and we are that no matter where you find us, whenever, wherever. It should become second nature to us that when we think of ourselves, we think, oh, I'm a Christ follower. So why is that so hard to do? I think of all the things that fight for our attention and try to be our everything and and form our identity, I believe so much of that is wrapped up in our jobs. Our jobs are fighting for that. Our jobs are wanting to be that. Working hard, being successful has been a burden on us for quite some time. I recently read this book called The Good Enough Job, and I highly, highly recommend it, whether you are just starting out. Maybe you're a young adult and you're trying to figure out what you want to do for a living, or maybe you're starting a brand new job, or maybe you're right in the thick of your career, or maybe you're even considering retiring. This book has something for you. The author, Simone Soldiff, caught my attention because chapter two is called The Religion of workism. And he points out that for a long time, until the 16th century, the idea that work ought to be anything other than toil was pretty much unheard of in the West. In the 16th century, the Catholic Church started um, making a fortune selling these pieces of paper, uh, paper called indulgences that were um, pardons for sins to look, uh, for citizens looking to buy their way into heaven. Martin Luther came along and was like, look, spots in heaven are not for sale. And then John Calvin took things a little further. Calvin believed that hard work was a key trait of those on the path to heaven, so they must be the elect, the predestined, the ones that were going to receive God's favor. So something in there, it started this theology, it started to set it in motion that you find a job and you work hard because that proves so much about who you are, essentially. And then it's warped into, well, financial success is the will of God. And then when you have pastors today saying it honors God to get to work on time, it honors God to be productive each day, you can see how we have tangled our worth and our identity with work. In a 1930 essay, some of you may be familiar with it, called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren from the famous British economist John Maynard Keynes, he predicted that we would have 15, I'm going to say it again, 15-hour work weeks in the 21st century. 15, one five. And that we would struggle to occupy the leisure, that we would have so much spare time we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. And then in 1957, an article in the New York Times said um, they would predict that work, as work became easier, our identity would be defined by our hobbies or our family life, and that workers would not look to work for satisfaction or meaning or expression. Now, yes, some of our work has gotten a lot easier with advancements in technology. We it's weird, we, we, the work is less hard, but we still seem to be working more hours. And with the advance, advancement of technology, we can do things anytime, anywhere, and it, the responses are fast. And it's a blessing and curse, if you ask me. But because we have this constant reminder, oh, I could, I could just check a few emails, or I could just make one call, I, I could just do just a little bit more. And so we're constantly tied to our work. 
And Solzhenitsyn's book, he goes into saying, okay, one reason that we've poured so much into work is because companies have figured out that people um, don't have a lot of community. And so they add gyms and cafes and social events and, and all kinds of things to keep people there. In this book, it talks about because there's, such, there's been such a decline in people being part of church, where they used to have identity and community and worth and purpose, that the companies have seen that gap and have filled that gap. So now companies can keep you there longer and remind you that everything that you depend on is because of work. Americans especially sign so much value to work. We worship our work. In an Atlantic article, Workism is Making Americans Miserable, Derek Thompson writes, our deaths were never meant to be our altars. And I'm going to pause here for a second. Some of you in this room are retired. Maybe you just retired, or maybe you've been retired for 30 years. From talking with people who have recently retired or um, stories in this book, it talks about the grief people go through when they retire at times. Because jobs were such a central part of their lives, because you spent so many hours with, with these people, and it was familiar, and it was consistent. And so then people end up having kind of an identity crisis when they retire. They think, well, who am I? Do I still have worth? Am I contributing things? Now, some of you that are retired probably think, yeah, I didn't go through that. I was like, yay, lose my number, I'm going to go travel, I'm going to golf, I'm going to spend time with my grandkids, it's been fun. If that was your experience, that's awesome. But like, if I, like I said before, if you've ever been fired or you've been laid off or you just graduated college or you're just a young 20-something just trying to figure things out, you can't seem to find where you land, it's a weird feeling because you don't know who you are you got to find a job, and you got to attach yourself to it so you have identity and meaning and purpose. When I think about how Jesus called the first disciples, especially the fishermen that just dropped their nets, we read this now and we think, oh my gosh, how can you just leave a job like that? But I think there's something in there about not being so tied to our jobs. By seeing your job as good enough, but not your everything. See, I just don't think we're going to get to heaven or we're going to be standing there waiting for our turn and God's going to ask us, okay, how much did you have in your 401k? How many hours did you clock? Were you able to get that corner office? Oh, you didn't? (sighs) Don't know if I can let you in now. I don't think that's how it's going to be. Throughout the life of Jesus, we see him challenging us to not be so tied to things or wealth. He's always challenging people to give things up, to be okay, kind of being on the move, even abandoning some obligations. He even changed people's names. He was trying to challenge those to see their identity was so much more than things, a a, a title, a job, a status. But I'll admit this is increasingly difficult in 2023, especially in America. Not only are we hoarders of things and stuff, we cling to our jobs. We don't want to give those up. In The Good Enough Job, Solzhenitsyn talks about how we can lessen the hold a job has on our life by being okay with the good enough job. 
because we can't look to our jobs to fulfill every need we have. We will look at our job to be our everything. We set ourselves up for disappointment, higher rates of burnout and anxiety. Work simply has to be less central to us. So instead of constantly pushing ourselves, wanting to climb the ladder, or always looking out for the next big thing or the leap in our career, maybe we say, you know, this job is good enough. And we shift that energy and passion into more important things. And I have an idea of what you should make more central to your life. And maybe this seems radical to you, because it is, because we've been trained for so long to make our job everything, making Money is everything. But when I read this book, and then when I read this book, I realized Jesus knew what he was teaching when he told us to give up things and not put so much value and worship into things. So much is temporary. So I believe we have to flip the script on what it means to have a job and where our identity and worth comes. So I think we start with the beginning of Colossians 3 and remind ourselves that our life is revealed in Christ and we have to live differently, that we set our minds on things differently than everyone else. Our goals, our priorities, our hopes, all of that is different. And we focus on qualities like compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and we clove all of that with love. And so I think there's work for us to do. No matter where we find ourselves in our career, so let's say you're starting out, you're a young adult, maybe you're ending high school, whatever, it's never too early to start. Making a list and thinking, okay, what do I want to make sure that I do? What do I, what do I want to make sure I have time for? Who do I want to be? How do I want to conduct myself in meetings? Things we want to make sure we don't lose sight of, no matter how busy or demanding our jobs make it. Maybe you're well into your career and you need to take a step back and say, okay, is this where I want to be? Am I sacrificing too much? Is my time well spent? Do I feel like I'm exhibiting Christ-like qualities in the workplace? And then I thought, okay, what else can we do? So I thought, do we pester our kids or grandkids to be the top achieving one in their class? Or are we constantly asking them what college you're going to go to or what internship they apply to? Or do we ask them if they're sitting with a kid who is alone at lunch? In our jobs, do we constantly stay an extra hour hoping to get the boss's attention? Or are we making sure the new intern feels encouraged and supported? Are we making it home in time to have dinner with our family or take our kids to practice? Do we spend the weekends working and taking on just one more project, or do we invest in things or people that are actually our passion and things that give us life? Are we carving out time to be with our spouse? Have you taken a real vacation, like a real one, where you're like not picking up your phone and saying, I'll just answer a few emails? Do you have time for church and Bible study and intentional community and prayer? I think there are a lot of adjustments we can make in our job and in our relationships so people know that our job isn't our everything and that many more things matter than our job title. For me, it's a little tricky. 
I'm an ordained pastor. I have three very fancy letters in front of my first name. And yet I still struggle at times to divide my job, which is a calling and a passion, and I love it away from my identity. Because at times I can get very wrapped up in doing things in order to get recognition or praise for myself. And I could always send one more email. I could always prep a little bit longer for Bible study. I could always schedule one more coffee date with a visitor. I could always make one more pastoral care visit. The work is never ending. And then I have the added pressure that I don't want my kids to hate the church because I spent all of my time there. And so at the end of the day, I'm just Reagan. So if you see me out and about, at the grocery store, at the library, at the park with my kids, or cheering my kids at sport, I'm going to be wearing something like this. I know it's super casual. That's the point. But that's who I am. I'm a, a disciple of Christ. I am a Christ follower. And that is what is most important. My identity is not this robe. It's not the title, reverend. And your identity is not what you do for a living or what you did for a living either. After all, it's just a job. We're so much more than that. We're called to so much more than that. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.